0: tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, O sinner, come home. Oh, for the wonderful love He has promised, promised for you and for me. Though we have sinned, He has honor and pardon, pardon for you and for me come home come home ye who are weary come home earnestly tenderly jesus is calling calling oh sinner come home We'll break out the big guy now. (laughs) And the important thing is, when I take my glasses off, it's like, you better know the words, and you better know the chords.
1: is that mighty grace of God that brings us together here this morning to uh, worship him and give him proper honor and glory. I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. There's joy here. Why don't you stand and say hello to your neighbor and we'll worship together. of heaven we are able to join in praise of your holy and wonderful and matchless name you with great power and glory yet with a compassion and a love towards us that we cannot understand so we come before you this morning in great thanks and praise please accept our offering as we lift it up to you in jesus name amen be seated
2: Out and pick that up. And as we ask for every Sunday, please fill out your connection card. You have three opportunities to do this, so there's no excuses for 100% participation. Um, if you picked up uh, one of our programs on the way in, it's an insert in there. You can also do it on our Find Liberty app at the Sunday check-in, or you can go to our web- website at findliberty.net, and it's at quick links. You can do your connection card that way. If you are with us this morning, we'd love to see you tonight right back here for an all-campus worship night at 6 p.m. All three of our campuses are joining together to worship. We come together and united in that to praise our one God. Come back tonight um, in this worship center. Child care will be provided for newborn through fourth grade, so please register your kids on the Find Liberty app if you do need child care. Let's have a round of applause for all of our volunteers who participate here at Liberty. I know it is said often, but it truly is the truth that we would not be able to do all of the programs, outreach, just ministry presence that we have without our volunteers. As just a small way that we can say thank you, we are having a chili cook-off on Sunday, October 2nd. Please come. There's food, games, and fun, and we'd love to see you there. If you are coming, please RSVP at findliberty.net forward slash chili. We want to celebrate you. One area we need more volunteers is our overnight men's shelter. This is definitely a present ministry that we have, and we want to gain awareness in that, but we offer care for homeless men on Tuesday nights, October through April. There are many ways to help and get involved. Please check the insert in your bulletin and be praying over a way that God calls you to be a participant in this ministry. Thanks, and enjoy your Sunday.
3: morning. My name is Steve Whitaker and I would ask you to join me in prayer. Father, thank you that you have brought us here safely to be in your presence. We gladly surrender our lives to you in worship and praise. We invite the Holy Spirit to move among us and prepare our minds for today's message, our hearts for communion. We acknowledge your hand at work here through Liberty across Northwest Indiana and around the world. Prepare us, call us, Use us as you see fit. We humbly accept your grace and mercy over us here in Chesterton, in Valparaiso, and in La Porte. We thank you for our pastors, for our staff, for every person that walks through our door, and for those that you call us to reach. We pray for those that are not here today. For those that are sick, we ask for healing. For those away, we ask your blessing on them and for their protection. For those struggling, we ask for peace and direction. For those in need, we cling to your assurance their needs will be met. Help us to be your hands, your feet, everywhere you send us. Now through your word, challenge us, teach us, equip us to see and do your will. Inspire us as we learn more about your majestic ways. May we behold your beauty and sense your grace. Help us to show Christ's love to all we encounter today and in the coming week. We thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. It is in his name we seek you and ask these things. Amen. We're going to go straight to uh, scripture reading now, so if you're going to follow in the Pew Bible, it's page 977. Um, If you've got your own Bible with you, I'll give you a second to turn to Ephesians 2, and we're going to read 19 through 22. And for those of you able... Please stand for the reading of his word. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Please be seated.
1: God in his holiness had a plan all along. You get to stand again now. In the darkness we were waiting with our hope. while we wait for him, why don't we sing our last hymn? Let's do the, the first couple verses of our last hymn. Uh, there's four verses, so we can sing two now and two at the end, but I couldn't leave any of them out. We did this a couple, a couple uh, weeks ago. We did this, but um, here we go.
4: Well, good morning and welcome to uh, Liberty Bible Church. Uh, my name is Tim. I serve as one of the pastors here. If you have a Bible, you can turn it to Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 19 through 22, and uh, that's where we will be uh, this morning. Uh, well, for three years while I was in seminary, I had a schedule that was insane. I was, of course, a full-time seminary student with all of the homework and reading and assignments uh, for that, I worked two jobs on top of that. Uh, one is a, a shift manager at Starbucks. The other as a worship leader at a church in Liberty, uh, Libertyville, Illinois. And, and so the, as we moved kind of in, into that experience, my wife and I knew like we needed to have a good group of community around us. But the trouble was I had no time in the week I could commit to being there week after week because my schedule was so full. There were only two times in the week. I knew I could, I could have a group. The first was if we met some morning at 4 a.m. And I assumed that would be probably me with one other person that fell asleep. So that wasn't going to work. The other time was, was Sunday at 12.30 p.m., which you lead wor- I led worship. Then I'd go straight to my group. Then I would go straight to Starbucks for closing right after that. And as an introvert, someone who does not get my energy from being around people, that sounded like Dante's fourth circle of hell. (laughs) I don't even know if they're four circles or five, but it sounded bad. But I committed to it because I knew I needed community. And over time, that group of people changed me. Uh, Not because we always had the best lunches together, there were two of us that would make real food and then everyone else brought a loaf of bread. And we even when we were like like bring cookies. Bring something that's not a loaf of bread. They kept bringing loaves of bread. So we'd have like a pot of soup and like 17 loaves of bread. The food was not good. I I didn't always enter that space excited to be there. I was tired. Sometimes worship didn't go well. Sometimes I just didn't want to go into work that afternoon. But week after week after week, that group of people changed me. Why? And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Why community, why people are crucial to our discipleship To Jesus. Now I've talked about that the last couple of weeks, so this is kind of a third week to build on those themes. But remember that the vision of this series, The Easy Yoke, is that the goal of discipleship to Jesus is to do easily, naturally, routinely what Jesus would do if he were us. As 1 John 2 says, whoever believes in Jesus should live as he lived. So we should become people who live as Jesus lived. And I say that knowing uh, all of us have had hard experiences in church that have tempted us to seek our discipleship away from people and to be alone. And I would imagine we all have stories to that. But Ephesians 2 says two things that are crucially true about how it is community should change us. The people of God should change us. And the first thing is that In the church, we are loved as family. Paul says in in verse 9 of chapter 2, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. to you in the church. You're no longer strangers, aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. You are no longer strangers. You are now the household, the family of God. The most common word that Paul uses to describe Christians in his writings was adelphoi. Often gets translated brother. That's not quite right because that would include uh, our sisters in that. So it's brothers, it's sisters. Really what the term meant was sibling. My brothers and sisters, siblings. That's how Paul referred to his fellow Christians, and that was a very radical move for Paul. See, in today's world, if you were to go to my wife, Misty, and ask her, uh, she has one sister, Lacey, if, would you rather spend time, or do you feel closer to Tim, or would you rather spend time or feel closer to your sister, Lacey? On most days, when I'm performing adequately as a husband, she would answer, Tim. Thankfully, she's not here to verify what I just said, but you can ask her later. Uh, Some days when I'm not performing uh, well, she might say Lacey, but most days it would be me because when you and I, when we get married, we redefine our primary identity away from our family of origin and to our nuclear family. That's not what they did in the first century. In the first century, your primary allegiance was always to your family of origin. Your siblings were more important to you culturally and relationally than your spouse was. So for Paul to say we're all now siblings is to say your primary identification now is not your family of origin. It's your church. It's your family, is your church. That's what's what Paul is saying. And Jesus spoke to this. In Mark chapter th- 3 we read, A crowd was sitting around Jesus, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. So Jesus looks at his disciples and says, You are now siblings you're my you're my family now it's a radical a radical move we are family so how does that help us change well here's the deal I'm going to take about five minutes to talk about how our brains work to explain this and it might be really boring I'm going to try everything I can to not make it boring but it still might be boring So I'm warning you now, five minutes, you got to try hard, right? Don't pull out your phone, no social media. Don't, the person you're supposed to text back, now's not the time, even though you're going to want to, because this might be boring. Five minutes, how our brain works, here we go. First is our our brains basically have two sides to them, a left side and a right side. And the left side of our brain, it's what stores information. I should, this is my left side to you, I'll do that. Uh, Left side, it stores information, and so the way our left side forms is through reading books. Right now, I'm engaging the left side of your brain, which is why some of you want to check out during this time. As you, this is boring. Teaching uh, instruction class, that's how the, the left side of our brain works. And information is really important to changing us. Let's go to the uh, next slide. I, I've said our uh, discipleship, or the way I think people change is Through teaching, right? you need the word of God to define your reality. Uh, The practices, which I'll talk about next week. Community, which I'm talking about now. And the Holy Spirit drives all of those things, which I'll talk about in three weeks. So you need teaching to change. I'm not saying teaching is not important. But what I am saying is, information is not enough. And I would even say information is less important than community. And here's why. Uh, James K.A. Smith, one of my favorite authors, he wrote a book about what I'm speaking to you on now. And he pointed out his wife and him got to a point where They just wanted to eat healthy and have a better rhythm of what they ate. And so they planted a garden in their backyard. They started reading a lot of books on how to eat uh, in a better way. And he said he he remembered he was reading a a particularly good book one time. And he's underlining it. And it's just like, this is life changing. And then he realizes he's reading a book about eating healthy and changing the habits of your life while eating a hot dog sitting in the Costco food court. He's got all this great information, but he wants to eat a hot dog sitting in the Costco food court. See, we react automatically to life, but your left brain works pretty slow. Anytime you need to access something in your left brain, it's like going into a library. Okay, what book was that in? What page was it on? Right? How, how, how should I react? And by the time you find the location in the library to respond to the person, you've already responded and you're driving home thinking about how you should have responded. Because your left brain works slower. It takes time to access it. So that's, the, that's your left side. The, the right side of your brain, it's more relational and it responds automatically to people, So Jim Wilder, who's a Christian and a psychologist, works in neuroscience. He writes this. The right side starts processing our surroundings and draws conclusions before the left side is even aware of what is happening. Our right brain governs the whole range of relational life. Who we love, our emotional reactions to our surroundings, our ability to calm ourselves, our identity both as individuals and community and character formation. So if the goal of discipleship is to automatically, naturally, and easily do what Jesus would do if he were us, we have to disciple the right side of our brains because that's what governs our automatic responses to people. You can have the right information about how to live and love and treat other people, but by the time you access it, You've already reacted to the person. So how do we disciple the right side of our brains? All right, you guys are doing great. We're almost done. We got like two minutes left. Unfortunately, it's the most important two minutes. So if you're checked out now, we got to get a real, gear it up. Let's do it. We got two minutes left about our brains. So how do we disciple the right side of our brains? Well, there are other Christians who wrote a book called, "Why You Do the Things You Do?" And they talked about this: How to have a healthier right side of your brain I keep doing the wrong side. this is your right side. How to have a healthier right side of your brain. And what they say is, your automatic responses to people in life by the right side of your brain are governed by how you answer three questions. And here they are: Am I worthy of being loved? Are other people reliable and trustworthy? Are people willing to respond to me when I need them? But again, we don't answer those questions with the left side of our brain. We answer those questions by how people have treated us through our lives. So if you were loved well in your family of origin, if they communicated you're a human being made in God's image. You are, you are loved. We love you. Imperfectly, but we love you. And that came through again and again. If you experienced in your, your parents or your siblings that they, they did what they said they would do, you could count on them. If you experienced them responding to you when you were in need, when you cried out for help, they didn't make fun of you and walk away, they, they responded to you. If that was your experience of life, your responses to other people are going to be very similar to that. You're going to communicate the same things to them. If, on the other hand, you grew up in a harmful or an abusive environment, an environment that says you are not worthy of love, you cannot trust me because you don't know what I'll do to you next, or when you need help, I'm going to abandon you rather than come alongside you, you're going to struggle to love people well. The best example of this is our foster care system where kids come out of the foster care system and they're placed sometimes in a really loving home, but they still struggle, even though they're in a good home now. One of my favorite professors uh, that I had was a foster parent, and he told the story of a couple of kids that he and his wife brought into their family and the first night, they, they put them to bed. They were very quiet and went very easy, and he was relieved. He goes to get them the next morning, and their, their bed was just soaked with tears. They'd cried all night. Because the experience they were coming out of was, was an abusive, harmful, untrustworthy one. And was, If you were in this guy's house, and he just loved people so well. I, one, I only had one class with him. He was an incredible professor. You would know immediately, I can trust this guy, he's reliable, he loves me. But it took an incredibly long time before those kids were not weeping themselves to bed every night. Even being in that safe of an environment. Because most of their experience of life was, I'm not worthy of love, I can't trust anyone around me, and no one will be there to help me when I need it. It takes a long time to change those things. So, all right, brain study over. You made it. We did it. What's my point? We are loved into change. We cannot be changed if we're not loved in the way that Jesus and God our Father has loved us. That we need to be surrounded by people who communicate, you are worthy of being loved, you can trust me, and I will respond to you with what you need. And if there's any community in the world that should be that, it's us. Because that is the way, or think about the way the gospel answers those questions. Am I worthy of being loved? You are a human being made in God's image, Genesis 1. You have immense value, dignity, worth, and beauty. You are worthy of the love of the Father. He made you to share his love with you. Question two, am I... Uh, am, am I, uh, uh, can I trust the people, or, or people trustworthy and reliable? The Old Testament, um, kind of the Old Testament John three sixteen verse in Exodus 34, when God describes himself, he describes himself with the, the Hebrew word hesed, which means steadfast love, it means always unbreaking. He's faithful to the end. You can trust him. He's reliable. Will God provide for me what I need when I'm in trouble? We were sinners destined for hell. And what does God provide for us? His own son, sacrificial death on a cross. like That is providing for our needs. But those of us who have walked with Jesus for a long time, how many other stories do we have where life was falling apart and all of a sudden God showed up in a unique way? He was there to help when we needed him. That all of us as Christians should have these answer, or answers to these questions informed by the gospel. And if that's true for all of us, then that means when we go to interact with one another, now we are siblings who have experienced the Father's love, and we deeply desire to communicate the Father's love to one another. It's why Jesus says the most important thing about for you, my disciples, is not that your theology is right. It's not that you have really killer worship services. It's not that you have great discipleship programs or kids are coming. The most important thing, if you're my disciples, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. And I've hopefully just given you a, a bit of an image of what that is. It means we're family, and we love one another the way that family loves one another. So that's first. Second, then, uh, we aren't just loved as family in this community, and that changes us. But secondly, we become for one another an experience of the presence of God. So Paul moves on in Ephesians 2, and he says this in verse 20. He says that we are built, or that uh, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, verse 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. See, one of the confusing things about the Christians in the first century was they had no temple. So the Romans are like, "Where's, where's your God at? You have no temple." And the Christian response was, "We are God's dwelling place. God dwells with us, among us." And so this has two profound implications for us. First, when the church does not love well, we receive a vision of God that is not true. When we fail to love one another in the way of Jesus, we communicate an anti gospel and a false view of God to other people. I had a, a season of, of my life in, um, where I, I served under someone I would now describe as a, a spiritually abusive leader. Uh, he was dishonest and he was domineering and he lacked self control. And I ended up after, you know, I, I didn't know how to understand that, and I ended up uh, seeking out a, a counselor, a Christian counselor. It was just a quick aside. I think there's in some Christian communities this thought that if you need counseling, that's a sign something is wrong with you. I just want you to know there's something wrong with all of us. It's called we're sinners. So counseling is good. It's why we have new hope. But that's an aside. That was free. Um, so I'm there, and, and the primary thing he and I worked through was he helped me understand, because my prayer life was just dead at that point. He helped me see how my prayer life had been determined by this leader, because now I view God, I view God through this leader. And, and even though I could have told you the theological answers to the question, am I, am I worthy of being loved? I know the theological answer to that question. My left brain has worked very hard at that. But my, my right side had experienced um, some really hard things from this person. And I now believe that's, that was God's posture towards me. Is, uh, is God trustworthy and reliable? I knew the theological answers to those questions. I know Exodus 34. I know Hesed. I know the cross. But I had experienced someone who didn't tell the truth, who wasn't reliable, and was, and, and was uh, deeply dishonest in his, his actions. That when we don't love each other the way Jesus loved us, it harms people. It affects their vision of God. And and as I've interacted with many non-Christians, I can tell you that's why a lot of people have left the church is not because they struggle with theology or they struggle with things the Bible says, although that's true sometimes. A lot of it is they've never experienced the love of the Father. They've never been communicated. You are worthy of love. And not because I'm telling you you're worthy of love, but because you're experiencing it from me right now. They haven't experienced that. And those who have experienced that, like me, like we're here. There's not a better place to be loved than in the church when we're functioning well. So when the church does not love well, we we communicate something that's anti-gospel and a vision of God that's not true. But secondly, and this is the positive side of that, when the church is what it should be, people experience the gospel love of the Father. Those of you who are here, it was, it's been a year ago. Um, it was a year ago last Sunday when I candidated um, here. And it, it was a real struggle for me to imagine leaving uh, the church that, that we had planted and we loved so dearly and, and moving here. But the moment when my mind came to a yes for coming here was when we were prayed for by that community group that only brought loaves of bread to lunch. We got back with those folks and we just said, we don't, I don't know what to do you just pray for us? And at the end of that prayer time, some specific things were said. And it was like, okay, God, I think this, this is it. I hear you. By people who had proven time and time and time again, hey, Tim and Misty, we love you. You can trust us. When you need help, we'll be there for you. And being loved like that is a transformative experience. So, what does that what does that mean for us? How do we do this? And I want to say I want to say two things. Then I'm in my seat. First is is we have to seek the courage to love. Some of us have been deeply harmed or wounded by the church, and you don't want to love or open yourself up to other people. I understand that. That's why it takes courage to love? And if you're someone who you've been harmed, and that's you have a hard time trusting other Christians. Um, I understand. Jesus himself said, I don't entrust. He didn't entrust his heart to men because he knew what was in, in the hearts of men. And yet, we are still to embody the love of Jesus to other people. We can't shut ourselves off. And one of the books that's been profoundly important to my own life is a book called Redeeming Power by Diane Langberg. And she says this, People are sacred, systems are not. They are only worth the people in them and the people they serve. And people are to be treated, whether one or many, the way Jesus Christ treated people. Can I be honest? That's all I want as a church. For the, the entirety of my pastoral ministry, both here and for the rest of my days on earth, all I want is for people to say when they encountered me, they encountered the way Jesus treated other people. I care more about that than anything else. And so if you're someone who's been who's been wounded and doesn't want to open up your life to other people, listen, they they might need you because you get it. <laughs> you get it in ways that those who have never been wounded or harmed harmed don't get it. That open yourself up and treat them the way Jesus treated people. I mean just just I encourage you, go read through all the gospels and just watch Jesus' interactions with people. The one people he did not interact well with were the religious people that uh, harmed everyone else. So that's your one exception. But everyone else, what do you want? Can I heal you? Do you want to be healed? The way he affirmed the dignity and humanness of everyone, it's beautiful. Read it. It's incredible. I want to be like that as a church. But it takes courage to love like that because there might be some people you go to help to love well and they respond in a way that's harsh or not. Loving. So that's first. The second thing, and this is going to seem super granular after that, but the second is you need to join a community group. And we're not quite ready for like massive influx of um, people for that. So we're, we're going to take our time at this and do it well. But I would encourage you reach out to David Preston. I don't, I don't have a group of people around me right now. I need that. Um, In January, we're hoping to have a little bit more figured out, but it's going to take time to figure out well. And and what I want to be honest with is is I'm not promising you instant connection with the people that you're gathered with. It might not be the case. What I am saying is find a group of people and commit to answering those questions Are you worthy of love? Are people trustworthy? Will you be there when I need you? Commit to answering those questions for them the way Jesus has answered those questions for you. And that doesn't come by like drive-by, hi, how are you doing? It comes by sustained weekly commitment to other groups of people where they know at this time of the week you'll be there. Not if you don't have something better else to do. No, I'll be there. I'll, I might even re- like move my vacation schedule around that. I might say no to a work trip around this. Because this community is deeply important to my discipleship to Jesus. That today, the regular churchgoer is defined as attending church one time a month. No chance you become like Jesus if you're only in here one time a month. And there's no chance you'll be changed into the way of Jesus without regular commitment to a smaller group of people, is because you are loved into change. I can't talk you into change, and you can't talk me into change. I have the information. I know how to love. I know what I've been given in Jesus Christ. And yet still so much of my life is governed not by the way Jesus would respond if he were me, but by the way I would respond if I were me. You need to be surrounded by a group of people. So to, to conclude, um, you know, one, of the, one of the questions a lot of people are asking today is, how in the world is the church in China growing given its extreme persecution it's facing? It's growing incredibly and the persecution has only gotten worse in the last two years and everything I've heard from on the ground in China is that it's not stopped it's only enhanced the growth that the church is experiencing how does that happen well I went to China twice in uh in 2017 um, and, and I spent a Sunday with uh, a house church there now normally westerners don't get to do that uh, they're very protective of who goes into the house church. But they let me go, and I asked them, like, why don't, you know, this is unique. Why are you letting me do this? And why don't you let most people, uh, most Westerners, go into your house church? And they, they, this guy looks at me and is like, well, like, you're really tall. You're really white. You have a very big beard. And if you walked into a building with a bunch of Chinese people, if anyone in the government saw it, they'd be like, there's a church in there. So that's why they don't let us go. But they let us go. And, and here, here's, here's what Sunday was. Every Sunday in the Chinese church was this. 9 a.m. was discipleship hour, and every member was there to be taught the Bible. 10.30 was their worship service, primarily uh, for the church, but with non-Christians being invited into that space. 12 p.m., everyone ate lunch together after the service was over. 3 p.m., if you remember, a member, a committed member of the church, you had to come back to church for a, uh, a members-only service. And oftentimes they'd be, have a new preacher there who would preach a second sermon and in hopes that he would one day go and plant his own house church. Then at 4.30 p.m., the congregational prayer service started for the whole congregation. And every person was prayed for, prayed over. I, I experienced that and was like, there's no way I could talk most American Christians into spending more than two hours at church on a Sunday. And yet that's why the Chinese church is growing exponentially, because they embody family to one another. I'm going to be here every Sunday to pray for you at 4 30 p.m. You can count on that. I'm going to be there at 9 a.m. studying the Bible alongside of you. You're going to see me there. And week after week after week of that commitment, there's a church that is so tied to the way of Jesus, it is exploding in a culture in a, com- in a country that is violently persecuting them. And so uh, they were a family committed to the presence of God, committed to being a family to one another. And if we want to change, become like Jesus, become our own kind of steel-spine community in a culture that is becoming increasingly hostile to Christianity, the answer is not to tell everyone else what they're doing wrong, but to love one another well, to pr- prepare and offer an alternative community of love to a community of outrage and hatred. Because that's what Jesus did for us. One of the verses that makes no sense to me, and I, I, but I love it. I'll preach on it sometime, but not today. Although I'm going to say a little bit about it today. It's uh, Hebrews 10, uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. This is what we read about Jesus. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God... For whom and through whom everything exists should make the pioneer of their, of our salvation, perfect through what Jesus suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. Jesus and us are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. That's Hebrews 2. Jesus is not ashamed to call you His brother or his sister. And that's our message as a church, is that Jesus is a profoundly beautiful person who dies for sinners and then says to us, Welcome home, brother. Welcome home, sister. And that is hard to believe. It's hard to I've just told you it's true, and yet how many of us are going to leave this place and our entirety of our life will be spent, I am I'm the brother of Jesus, I'm the sister of Jesus under our Heavenly Father. It's hard, it's hard to believe, which is why it's got to move out of our library and into our relational experiences of life with one another. That the best way for me to believe that Jesus really is my brother and that God is really my Father is for you to love me the way that Jesus has loved you. And the very best way for you to actually believe that Jesus is your brother and God is your father is for me to love you the way Jesus has loved me. Let us pray. Our Father, who gave us your Son, so that he may call us his brother, his sister. What a gospel we get to Believe and hopefully experience. So my prayer for each one of us today is that we would, we would love the other people in this room the way that Jesus has loved us. And I pray fervently, because I know I need it. That we would experience the love of Jesus through the tangible people that are, are here this morning surrounding us. Uh, make that true, I pray, in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the reasons why we we move to a weekly communion is this is an experience of being loved by the Father through the Son with your siblings. We're going to invite you, if you're a Christian, if your faith is in Jesus, uh, come to the table in groups of five to seven. Uh, Take the bread, you can dip it into the juice, and then wait to eat it together with your siblings, your brothers, your sisters. Eat it all together at once. Um, We have have four stations up front, we have one up in the balcony. If you're not yet a Christian, this meal is not yet uh, for you. But I hope you hear the heart of Jesus as he wants you to come into the family. And so I'll be out in the hallway. I'd love to talk to you about that after service is over. But as you're ready, we invite you to the table of our Father.
1: great piece of of music
4: Uh, well, thanks for being uh, together with us this morning. We hope you have a, a blessed week. Again, if, if you're new, I, I'd love to meet you. I'll be in the hallway on, our, on your way out uh, this morning. But we're, we're glad you uh, worshiped with us this morning. And with that, may I leave uh, us with these words. Uh, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. May you live in his grace and peace this week. You're dismissed.